Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm a cake decorator, so I mean, this is this is exactly like Bill Murray saying my my dad's a piano mover, and that's why. You know. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined, as always, by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. What? Mm. For a minute there, I thought you were doing a visual hello, and I'm like, the people can't, they can't hear, they can't see that. So. I was raising the roof for those of you at home, and, uh, <laughs> and then I did uh, kind of a what kind of thing. Mm-hmm, so that's correct. <laughs> uh, and for music video sins, Barrett Share. Yay, I'm here. Yay. <laughs> um so we're going to be doing uh a regular more regular episode today. We're going to take a break from all the death and destruction from the last couple of podcasts and everything. And I'm sure that the two of you and maybe all three of us have gotten super pissed off about something since then. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. All right, Jeremy, you want to go first because yours no. is important? <laughs> no, I want to save mine for the end because it's important. All right. Um, well, I'll go I'll go on and talk about this. We talked a, a little bit about this in the, uh, in the intro. My original rant was going to be about Justice League leaking on Tom and Jerry because I found that so absurd. That's but awesome. yeah, it's a little thin. <laughs> um, and I wanted to talk about this uh, uh, Harry Styles... May- <laughs> Not Harry Styles, Harry the <laughs> Prince. <laughs> oh Jesus, I fucked that up. Right. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Harry Potter. I mean Styles. I mean Prince Harry. <laughs> I mean Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and their very, very famous interview they had with Oprah Winifrey, uh, which you know that it kind of came out of nowhere to me. Uh, but also I didn't give a shit because I don't care about sit down interviews that are carefully coordinated and I could not get, I'm sorry, English people, but I could not give more of a shit about the Royal family. Mm-hmm. I know there are people that are, that are obsessed with them. I know even in America, they're obsessed with the drama and the family and the riches and the palace and all that. And I appreciate that. It just never held any interest to in me. Um, and so when this thing came and went, I was, I was surprised by how much footage it was. I mean, all like almost every post yesterday on my Twitter feed was about this goddamn interview. And I was like, I don't think I've seen something get this much coverage outside of like a natural disaster or something like that in forever. And so at first I, I I didn't care as I started reading more about it. I, I've, I realized that I was being dismissive uh, because this is not about um, 
the typical goings on of the salaciousness of the royal family. I don't think. Um, what uh, what I understand from the interview uh, is that they came on to essentially give her story more than his story and about how, because if you didn't know, Meghan Markle is, is biracial and how she was treated uh, reportedly by the higher ups in the Royal family, by um, the uh, didn't name the queen, uh, but did uh, talk about other, other people they didn't name by name and particularly about her race particularly about their son's potential skin color, which really went all over me, and particularly about her mental health issues, because it she's been fairly forthcoming about this, uh, that she's had past mental health issues. And I believe at some point in this interview, she mentioned having suicidal thoughts and that they were summarily dismissed. I don't know by whom, but uh, I thought that was an important interview and important information about institutional racism, about institutional indifference to mental health and no bigger institution really uh, out of history, recent history than the Royal family. Uh, So I thought it was interesting to bring up. And now that I'm paying a little bit more attention, I realized that that institution was something that everybody's known before me. That institution is severely fucked up. What do you guys think? I, uh, I don't understand it um, because they don't the, – the, the monarchy does not have political power, uh, mm-hmm. at least in terms of – at least in terms of parliament. Um, I'm sure they have plenty of political sway, uh, but I don't understand why it persists, um, and I don't know enough about it to bash it. I do know that it seemed to me – I watched part of this interview with my wife. It seemed to me that she did draw a line of distinction between what she referred to, I believe, as the firm, which is sort of like the institution, and mm. the actual family members. Um, Interesting. There's, there's, like a lot was, of, there's a lot of supplemental characters in that institution. There right? are handlers. There are people behind the scenes, dozens of them. And I believe these are the people who were saying things to her like, what color will your son's skin be? And don't go hang out with your friends. It doesn't look good. Um, what's fascinating to me is the week leading up to the interview, the, the, the British media was coming up with all kinds of stuff. It felt like it was a coordinated attack ahead of this mm. interview. Uh, mm. Bragging on her because she wore earrings that had been a gift from... Saudi Arabia and bringing Jamal Khashoggi into it, even though not only are most of the jewels the monarch he owns stolen from some other country, um, but uh, plenty of other people in the royal family have worn the same kind of gift to jewelry and they didn't get flack for it. Um, The thing that troubled me the most was the speculation, specifically by Piers Morgan, but by more than him, um, that her suicidal confession was fake. Uh, the insinuation being that how could you have all this money and have this wonderful life? I don't believe they actually were suicidal. I've seen this kind of thing before when, when major celebrities or famous people have admitted to suicidal thoughts, people are so dismissive. Well, you have it all. How the Mm -hmm. fuck could you be suicidal? And I'm like, do you not remember 
you know, pay attention. Every year we lose somebody famous to suicide who has millions of dollars. It's not like mental health shit does not know what's in your bank account, man. And you can make no. an argument that the more famous you are, the more scrutiny you're under. And that only drives insecurity and anxiety and depression. Look um, at the Britney documenta- documentary is the most recent example of where you yeah. really saw how that affected her. Yeah, she yeah. has it all. She has adoring yeah. fans. She has tons of money. But that can There's, fuck with you. I followed a Twitter thread yesterday where somebody took from the same newspaper articles with photos about Kate Middleton and articles with photos about Meghan Markle, uh, about seven different papers. And like and one example I remember was uh, Kate Middleton, three different pictures of her cradling her baby bump when she was pregnant. And the headline from this paper was, oh, look how she dotes on her upcoming child. She's such a good mother, yada, yada. Same paper runs an article with Meghan Markle a month later holding her baby bump. And the article is basically, look at how selfish she is. She's just trying to draw attention to herself by constantly touching her baby bump. And you can't tell me that that's not inherently racist on some level. Um, You know, probably different photographers, probably different headline writers, probably different journalists, but the same institution wrote about the same thing with two different princesses and skewed Still has one to get favorable. Past an editor, right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so again, I'm not here to attack your monarchy. I know you know we were pissed off. <laughs> America's already enough. done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not trying to make enemies, but I don't understand it, and I don't. I, the, the the quick backlash that she might have been making this up tells me she probably was telling the truth about all of it. That's my hunch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it just goes a long way to saying that a lot of people just don't you won't you don't understand until you've actually experienced it yourself right like mm-hmm. the, the the you know i i imagine if you were to go around the world looking for the happiest person in the you know in the world that it's not somebody who's got billions of dollars you know like money <laughs> And some old lady in Japan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Money can buy you experiences. It can't buy you happiness. Um, It's, uh, it's one of those things like, uh, you know, when you're, when you're sitting there, uh, you know, and you're, you know, you're struggling week to week or whatever and, and going paycheck to paycheck and everything, it is sometimes hard for you to understand that people with millions of dollars can be depressed and everything because like, well, I'm struggling and everything, but you know, some of these people, I mean, I just, you don't really know until you've actually experienced it for yourself. And a lot of times these people who make these criticisms, like your peers, Morgans and everything who are like, you know, how can this be? Because of, you know, this logic that I've been hearing, I mean, I know this logic has been around forever and everything, but I, I keep hearing these stupid arguments that aren't that are not based in any kind of fact or anything they're just they're just logic puzzles that that don't have any real uh, data attached to Mm. them um Mm. but this idea that just because you imagine yourself being happy with all this money you you must think everybody is going to be that way or whatever and and the same goes for all these i mean there's just a million other different I don't want to get into the other ones, but like there's a million other kind of little logic puzzles that people throw out at you that like, yeah, I understand on the surface that sounds pretty stupid, but it's <laughs> not, you don't know until you're actually in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, before, you know, you, you can't speak on it until, until you've actually been in this situation to say, this is something that happens. This is something that I need to 
that uh you know the, the of course Meghan markle thinks this way because or, or or feels that she's experienced this or whatever because you know you haven't you haven't experienced that type of thing you haven't mm-hmm. been through it so you know it's so that's 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 my take on it <laughs> people- i never thought i i would rant about the royal family <laughs> Or even mention them on a podcast, but here we are, and I'm glad you guys kind of see it the same way as I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we would be a lot more informed if we weren't American, um, and we're, you know, we have a, a our unique perspective on it, but <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I'm okay with being uninformed on a lot of this stuff, except for the institutional um I don't want to say oppression, uh, but institutional influence on someone in in the spotlight's mental health and potential, you know, life. Well, I thought was also fascinating. I know we're done talking about this, but she said something, and I'm paraphrasing, about how, you know, I was expecting the life of a celebrity. I She was an actress. I've experienced celebrity. I've experienced paparazzi. This is not like that. This is yeah. a whole other thing. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it made me feel, made me feel for her. So Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, what else do we want to rant about? Um, all right. So I, um, I watch uh, a million movies. I watch a million, I watch so many that I forget them. And you can, you can hear that here on the podcast. (laughs) There's, you know, I mean, we go, we can go through somebody's entire filmography and I'll, I'll tell you about 10 movies I've seen. And I'll be like, I don't remember anything about this. <laughs> um, but in the middle of all these, every once in a while, I'll get into a discussion about a movie that I don't like. And mm. and uh, it's a movie that a lot of people do like. And I'll be like, well, I don't like it. And um, there's this, what is this? I don't know what we want to call this. This is not something that I think is is discussed very often. But, okay, so the movie in question that, that brings this rant up is the killing of a sacred deer. Mm-hmm. I watched this movie. I watched this movie, uh, with, uh, basically with quote unquote, some friends, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, watched this movie. And just like a lot of Yorgos Lanthimos movies, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. There's some weirdness here. I can get in, get along with this weirdness. And then it, it, I didn't like the way it, I didn't like the direction of it. Uh, ended up not liking the movie. Um, and then we had to start having a discussion, uh, and I'm not, I'm not putting down anybody or anything. I'm just saying this is a frequent thing that I run into when somebody says that they do like it or they do like a movie that you don't like. And then they start, they start saying, well, uh, I was doing some research into this movie and I found out that they're doing this from a 1950s text or they're doing this from, uh, 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 this, this obscure book. I think we had, uh, a, we had similar, uh, things that were happening when, uh, uh, when, uh, Charlie Kaufman came out with that. I think I'm in, I'm thinking about ending things or whatever. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. There was, there was a lot of people who liked that movie because hey, look at what he's doing. Look at these little references of clues he puts in there. And I'm sorry. What does the reference or the basis for the movie have to do with my enjoyment of it if i am why do why why should the this obscure text or this book or whatever 
make me go, oh, that's what he was doing? Oh, okay. So all that shit that I didn't like is actually pretty good now. Because, <laughs> because he was doing a thing, and I didn't realize he was doing a thing. And I don't... I, I've 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 run into this several times in the past couple of years where people will bring something up like that. And I'm like, well, he's doing this thing with a blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, but what I, what I just watched didn't appeal to me. So why? It, okay. I could go and, and read this book or read and get to know more about this and everything. We did this a long time ago, right? In cinema sins, when we started doing Harry Potters, we did Harry <laughs> Potter <Yeah>. videos <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. And people who had read the books, uh, would always say, well, this is because in the book, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, but that happened in the book, didn't it? It didn't happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the movie, they don't even talk about this thing that you're talking about. So we're not, we're not filling in blanks when we watch movies here. <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're not doing that there are things that movies intentionally do a lot of times so that you, that you have to fill in the blanks, but this is not intentional. This is, this is, it's not an, well, it's intentional that they cut it out, but it's not intentional that they, they're let, they're letting you decide what happened or whatever. It's like, so we started doing those, uh, we started doing Harry Potter's and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. And people would always be like the book, the book, the book, the book, the book, the book, the book. And then finally on uh chamber of secrets, we were like, the book doesn't fucking matter. At the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like shutting, shutting uh, down that immediately. If Oh brother were out there, we're bad. This is like, if that movie were terrible, but somebody said to you, but it's based on the odyssey. Right. And that somehow makes it good. Right. Like, oh, brother is good because it's good, not because it is a loose adaptation of the artist. No, but you can also now if you do enjoy a movie or if you're curious about a film, you can go look that stuff up and enrich the stuff. I did this just recently with Judas and the Black Messiah to get a little more context because I wanted to know more. It doesn't mean that it made the movie better or made it good because it was already good, like, oh, brother. And I just kind of supplemented my experience. So that's a whole different thing than what Chris is talking about, where somebody's explaining to you why it's good. And you're like, no, no, I I saw what I saw. I don't need an external reference or a bibliography to to explain Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think I think what you're saying there, Barrett, is, is absolutely right. Like, if you enjoyed it just on first blush, go ahead and find deeper things that make mm-hmm. it better for you. But if you look at it and go, man, I don't like this at all. How is knowing that it was based on something or, or, you know, or it's a, it, it's a shadow of something or like loosely based or whatever they're doing. How does that make me like it suddenly? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, is it, am I supposed to be rewarding the movie for making me feel smart that I know? <laughs> <laughs> And so, so, wow. Um, so like uh, that's uh, that's the that's the thing. I I, I that's I, I just I like I said. I watch millions and millions of movies, and every once in a while, one out of twenty will be like, "Oh my god, that's a good fucking movie right there." And the <laughs> other ones are like, "Okay, yeah, I, I, I see what they're doing. You go with your bad self. That's all right. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't." You know, and, and it'll be, you know, 20 years down the line, I'll be talking about a movie like Possessor and I'll be like, yeah, man, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I don't, 
I, I didn't like it. I don't, it's all I can say. And, uh, and then move on, you know, um, <laughs> it will get mentioned. So, yeah. <clears throat> Good stuff. Anyway, that's my rant. I want to rant about spam. Spam. <clears throat> the um, delicious meat substitute. Yes. Um, although yes, <laughs> I just want to speak directly to the spam brand for a moment. Uh-oh. What are you doing? What are you doing? Uh-oh. What are you doing? I saw a commercial 20 minutes before we podcasted. I didn't even have a rant for today, but this is the new spam commercial. Uh, the tagline is don't knock it till you've fried it. Like, oh. Fried it in a pan. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> you committed so much to the rhyme. You insulted your product at the beginning of your tagline. Don't yeah. knock it. Who the mm-hmm. fuck are you advertising to? Don't <laughs> yeah. knock it. This is specifically targeted at people who don't want to eat your nasty shit, right? <laughs> don't knock it until you fried it, right? It's like, this is, they're trying to do like some kind of cocky shit, right? Like there's this, I think I mentioned this a dozen times, that old uh, terrible ad, because I don't remember, I think it was Buick, but some car company and their ad was drive everything else first, and I thought that was badass because they're basically saying ours is the shit, but you won't know it if you don't drive mm. the crap first. So spam is trying to do something like this. Don't <laughs> knock it until you fried it. And uh. what sucks the most is that spam is doing fine. Uh, 12.8 cans of spam are consumed every second. Uh, mm-hmm. It's sold in 44 countries. In Hawaii, it's a delicacy. They're doing mm-hmm. fine. What they should have done once spam became the name of unwanted email shoved down your inbox's throat, they should have rebranded in English-speaking countries. That it's very easy to do this. This they were Carl's Jr. and Hardee's were the same brand in America for decades. They just had different names in different regions because people knew it by something else, right? Lay's chips in America are called Walker's chips or crisps, sorry, over in the mm. UK. Uh, <laughs> this happens all the time. So if you're popular in Hawaii and you know China, then keep calling yourself spam there. But in the mainland, if you're trying to target people who don't want to eat your nasty shit, why don't you come up with a new name? and a new branding of your product, right? And then roll Mm -hmm. it out to those people as something different. It wasn't like the slogan before this was any better. I misquoted it previously. I thought it was sizzle pork and meat, but it's sizzle pork and mmm, which is a terrible tagline. And then Mm -hmm. their website is like screaming at you six simple ingredients. And I want to go through these real quick. The first ingredient. Oh, no. I don't don't know. The first single. No, this is fine. The first simple ingredient is pork with ham. Now, that's pretty fucking vague. And it's more than one thing. Pork, pig's feet, could be called pork. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're telling me the first ingredient is pork with ham, you have to throw the ham in there so that I'm not too fucking scared of the pork. The vague (laughs) pork is frightening. So you throw it with ham. There's ham. You know ham. Ham, you, you're familiar with ham, right? And then they throw salt, water, potato starch, sugar, and the last one's my favorite, sodium nitrate. Everybody's ah, favorite. Yes. Um, you know, one serving of Spam has 57% of your daily intake for sodium. One serving. <laughs> one serving. It sounds delicious. There is so much wrong with this product and its branding. I just beg you to to 
to listen to reason, man. Come up now. They do have like a light version. They got like a hundred different kinds of spam now. They got pumpkin spice. Do they really? Spam. Yes, what? they have pumpkin spice spam. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> lovely spam, least... wonderful spam, 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 spam. I can't help but spam, think spam, there's one spam, of these outfits spam. that does their own marketing. They don't outsource to like an ad agency or anything. And they think that they're smart enough. We know our product best. And I'm just telling you right now, don't knock it till you fried it is one of the worst slogans I've ever heard in mm. my entire mm. life. Mm. And yeah. rant. Yeah. They should just um, uh, play that skit, that Monty Python skit where it's like spam, spam eggs and bacon and spam. We would need an order of spam, spam, spam and spam, spam and with yeah. extra spam. Yeah. That's the reason that we call email you don't want spam. God. Uh, all right. Does anybody have any recommends and warns? Totes amaze balls. There right. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I'll go ahead. Um, on Netflix, there is a documentary called My Octopus Teacher. <laughs> it's a documentary? It is. Wow. Um... And, uh, it is about a guy who dives in the, in a South African kelp forest and, uh, he starts observing and he's taking video and everything. And, um, he runs into this octopus and, uh, obviously the octopus is, uh, you know, scared of him and everything, but he, the first thing that he notices that's very strange that makes him want to keep going down there is he notices this, uh, it's like this, it's like this boxy looking thing on the bottom on like sitting on the bottom of the ocean floor. That's all like seashells and stuff, just like all like, like, like glued together. It looks like. And it's, it's really weird. And he's sitting there looking at it and he's like, he's like, even the fish come by and don't know what the hell is going on. You know, the fish are coming by and they're like, what, you know, what, what is this thing? And <laughs> they're like, uh, All right, what and, the fuck is this? I'm a fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you see, suddenly you see this, this, whatever, this thing full of seashells just sort of explode and an octopus flies out of it. Hmm. And, uh, he, um, he starts going down. He, he says, he said, he tells us he, um, he didn't realize it at the time, but this was the end of a drama that, uh, he had come to late to the party. So he didn't know what this was about and he didn't think he ever would figure out what it was. Um, so he goes down there and he keeps, he keeps trying to find this octopus. And, and at first the octopus is kind of scared of him, but then uh, for a while he's able to get the octopus to like touch him and like sit there and like like uh like sort of uh feel his arm and his hand and everything and uh you know it's you know it's not like other uh, best buddies immediately or anything like that but as he goes down he, uh, day by day he realizes that you know this octopus is suddenly not scared of him anymore and is is used to his presence and and uh, is just going about uh, the, the usual day of, uh, trying to find food and, and everything. But the main thing that this octopus is trying to do is trying to evade sharks that are in the area. And, Ooh. uh, so there are, there are all these, uh, he, he gets, he captures these sharks going after him and he says to himself, you know, it, it's very tempting to want to save the octopus if, if the sharks get too close or anything. Um, I won't tell you 
anything else about mm. this because you need to really watch this this movie this documentary is wonderful this was this is a semi recommend from aaron because we're trying to get to our year-end list for 2020 and this one was in a specialized list after i'd seen main the main contenders for 2020 and uh and uh i watched this i don't know last week at some point and it is one of the most fascinating documentaries i've ever seen a man and and an octopus sort of like having a friendship in this uh you can't you can't really deny from what you see on the screen that there is uh, some sort of kind of like acknowledgement between these two species here um and uh it is it is well worth your time it's like an hour and 25 minutes something like that Hmm. i mean watch this shit it's good so this is on Netflix and it takes place in Australia. Is that what you said? South Africa. South Africa. And is the guy like a professional diver or is it, it just interested <sighs> he in this had story? Uh, done another documentary film where he followed around these, these super amazing trackers in Africa. Hmm. Like, uh, and that's, a, that's another one that I want to watch because they showed some footage of that, by the way. And I was like, they're like, these people can find the tiniest things to get to find wildlife in africa like stuff that you would never see if you were just wandering about um Mm. they can find just the tiniest things and in fact there's a point where he says i had to do that with the octopus because didn't there was a point where they sort of separated uh there was a, a an incident that happens where they they sort of get separated and he has to find the octopus again uh and he had to use some of those same kind of you know tracking techniques to find the octopus so Anyway, he had done that before. I'm not sure if he was an experienced, um, I'm not sure if he was a diver per se. There was something in the documentary he said that he, he, he didn't normally do. He may, he may not have like been a guy that studied ocean life, really. Mm. He may have dived before, but not, you know, and he may be really good at it, but it, it, I don't think he was a guy that would observe or anything. Mm. So, uh, this is he's he said that he there are some things there are some things that you'll watch in this you're like this is just amazing this octopus is way smarter than you would ever give it credit for and uh you know he he said he would go and try to find documentation about some of the stuff that he's seen and he just couldn't find any there's just Hmm. nothing uh about it so uh my octopus teacher yeah go watch that uh would never have picked that unless you <laughs> said this so that's interesting um i'm gonna start out with the wreck of warren okay um for uh a movie that you can find on hbo max right now came out in june of 2020 called irresistible um starring ah. steve carell <clears throat> have you seen it uh, i have not i know what you're talking about though all right yeah written and directed by john stewart um formerly of the daily show um, it stars Steve Carell, Chris Cooper, Mackenzie Davis, Topher Grace, Rose Byrne, Natasha Lyonne. Um, it's a wrecka because there's this is this is a pretty harmless movie. I think it's trying to make a really big statement, um, and I'll get to that in a minute. But you know, you've seen this kind of movie before. It's 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 national political heavyweights coming into a small town to try and help sway a small election. So it's kind of like the campaign meets. Uh, the movie that killed Gene Hackman's career. Swing, swing vote. And, uh, welcome to Mooseport. Mooseport. Welcome to Mooseport, swing vote, all of these. Um, and and you're, you're not going to see anything revolutionary here. Uh, but 
a subdued Steve Carell, I really like. Um, mm. His early career is so hammy, uh, but then, you know, once he started kind of slowing down and giving quiet performances here and there, uh, I think it actually sharpened his humor um, because he's really funny in this movie and it's almost all non sequitur, sarcastic throwaways that, you know, people don't react to or hear. Um, the, the Rekka is because everyone is charming in this movie. There are some laughs. The basic story is he's, he's dejected after Trump has won. He's a democratic political strategist. Um, and he's looking for inspiration and he sees a viral video, uh, of Chris Cooper, this small town farmer guy in Wisconsin, standing up at a town hall, giving this very moving speech, um, that, um, you know, defends the people uh, from the politics of the area. The video goes viral, and he decides, I'm going to go convince this guy to run for Democratic mayor in this Republican town. And so then the Republican Party sends Rose Byrne, his counterpart, a national strategist, to town to help the incumbent Republican mayor win. And it just becomes this uh, comedy of errors, I guess, as both sides mm. try and one up each other. There's a scene where they pass out flyers about uh, abortion rights to a neighborhood that had a high female concentration, according to their data. And it turns out they were all nuns. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it does play a little bit with, you know, our expectations in that regard. But the, the, I don't know. I don't know if I, sh- I can't, I guess I can't spoil it since I'm record warning it. The end of this movie is absolutely preposterous. It's more ridiculous than anything in deja vu. It's more ridiculous than <laughs> anything in passengers. It's mm. just when this movie reveals itself to you, you will be like the fuck. And <laughs> the, that's when the movie starts beating its chest. Like, yeah, I'm awesome. And I, I, it, completely falls apart and really bothered me um it's it's like they're swinging for like fences three ballparks away with this ending uh and it's a big strikeout man i was really bummed by the resolution of this film uh so know that going in maybe you'll love it i doubt it uh because it kind of is a middle (laughs) finger to everyone uh all the characters all the viewers this movie at the end is just like fuck you he's my uh, oh, now right. i want to watch it now yeah well it, i'll it spoil it for you show up and uh and say i'm gay <laughs> <laughs> not that i, I don't want to hear no. what happens I, i'll 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 watch it at some point all right all right i won't spoil it um it's absolutely preposterous but up until then it's pretty charming slice of life uh you know, fish out of water kind of daily deal. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I actually had that on my list, and there was just something about it that did not want me to to click on it. So yeah, but I may just skip to the end <laughs> because you've explained everything. Well, huh? If you skip to the end, it won't make any sense. But no, that's true. <laughs> More like, power uh, to you. That's what I did with uh, Serenity. I came in when Chris was watching it right oh, at that the was end. Hilarious. Oh no! Oh no! That was hilarious. I had no context whatsoever, and I was just like, "Huh?" huh? And I was like, "And I was like, Barrett, Barrett, before we get to the end of this movie, let's—I will show you the sex scene that's between Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. It's like—it's ridiculous. It's absolutely the most insane thing ever. It's one of those movies that's set up, you know. To—I mean—and it sounds like Irresistible might be the same way." 
that the whammy was created first and then the movie leading up to it is what they, you know, we just want to get to the surprise. Once they get to the surprise, (laughs) nobody will even care about what happened before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. I got one that's, that's hot off the presses. I think this came out last week as we record this. Uh, It's Judas and the black Messiah Mm. Um, came out on HBO max as well. Uh, It's one of those WB releases that is in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time that's pissing off everybody, um, including Christopher Nolan and fucking Denis Villeneuve. Um, So this, uh, you know, I kind of knew the story of Fred Hampton, who was the uh, chairman of the Black Panthers in the Illinois chapter, um, from just various bits of history that I picked up over the years. And then most notably... Uh, just recently in the trial of the Chicago seven, uh, he was a, even though he didn't have a whole lot of screen time, he had a prominent, um, impact in there. Uh, he was kind of the, um, the general to Bobby seal. Um, and you could see how his death, and this is not spoiling it, how his death impacted, uh, both Bobby seal and the rest of the trial. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start out by saying this is this is the best movie that I've seen this year so far. I know we're, oh. we're only in, in March, um, but uh, you will be hooked from the very, very beginning. And the reason why, uh, rightfully so, and I've, I've got a point about this, rightfully so, Daniel Kaluuya is getting a lot of awards talk. And rightfully so. He gives one of, one of the best performances I've seen – outside of maybe somebody like Denzel and Malcolm X. Mm. Uh, he is powerful. When, when people, when actors, uh, male or female, when actors play skilled orators, and that's my other recommend, by the way, skilled orators, and you see without, because a lot of these people are historical figures and we never saw them live, right? I never saw Fred Hampton talk. I never saw Abraham Lincoln talk. Uh, but when you, when you, have those words in a skilled actor. There's something about it, man. And Daniel Kaluuya inhabits this character, Fred Hampton. I don't know, and maybe I'm misrepresenting this, but I think he's being nominated for supporting actor for almost all these. I think uh, Golden Globes, he had that infamous incident where his mute uh, was on in the Zoom thing, but I think he won for best supporting actor. He's every bit as much of a lead as anybody else in this in this movie, especially I think Lakeith Stanfield is is generally considered as the lead. Um, And I don't know how that works or why that works, but he's a powerhouse and he's the focus of this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Lakeith Stanfield, we've talked about many times. I feel like he's been underused in a lot of projects like Knives Out. Um, I haven't seen Sorry to Bother You. uh, or really a whole lot of Atlanta. Uh, but I do know that he's a freaking talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's terrific in this. So he plays a guy that essentially infiltrates the Black Panthers to get close to Fred Hampton. And he's put up to this by Jesse Plemons, uh, who's playing an FBI agent, um, who's ordered uh, by the hilariously made up Martin Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> swear to god the only way that you'll recognize martin sheen in this movie is just by the voice 
because mm. he looks ridiculous. Makeup job did great in the rest of the movie, but no, this is not good. Um, so it basically follows the the purpose of the Black Panthers, which was community outreach, especially in Chicago. He made political allies. He made allies with gangs, black gangs, Puerto Rican gangs, white gangs, rednecks, all that stuff. He brought them together to form that rainbow coalition that you've heard so much about. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. The reason to watch is Daniel Kaluuya and his scenes with his, uh, his wife played by Dominic Fishback. Um, the fact that he, he beefed up for this role. He, he, he got, he got uh, a little, a little mushy and you know how, how cut that guy is normally. Uh, it's, it's brilliant filmmaking by Shaka King who I'd never heard of before. So the only criticism that I'll have of this, this film is that at the end of it, they do as most biopics do what happened to the characters in text as they go along. Now, the most interesting one is Bill O'Neill played by Lakeith Stanfield, how he ended up. I did not know how he ended up, but that's compelling. Um, it also says that uh, Fred Hampton died at 21 years old. Damn. And Lakeith Stan or uh, Bill O'Neill was 17 when the start of this movie happened. Hmm. I'm not going to put too much into it because they're both amazing, but ain't no way Daniel Kaluuya is passing for 21 years old. And ain't no way <laughs> Lakeith Stanfield is passing for 17 years old. Well, I mean, what tiny what they... criticism, but. Jeez. Yeah, does, how how long does how long does this? What's the uh, time span on this? Is it is it just over a summer or is it like? A... No, it's over because he does go to jail uh, for a period of months before he gets let out. So probably over the course of a year or somewhere around. So it's there. not years and years. It's not like mm -hmm. they they were trying to get somebody who would be the age that they are now by the time that they they end the story or whatever this reminds me by the way this happens all the time they do this shit it's, yeah. it's incredible in goodfellas where de niro walks in for the first time and ray liotta's like he must have been like 29 at the time like fucking de niro doesn't look he's 29 years from 29 maybe <laughs> It's like his character in the Irishman, like trying to be like a Billy badass when he's 76 years old or however. Right, old. right, right. So, I mean, they do this. I mean, I guess it's understandable. They want these particular actors because they feel like they're the ones who can, who can do the job the best. And, and, you know, they don't want you to know that whole thing about the, do they even mention the age in the movie? They do. They do. Yeah. It's oh, in that do. final code. Oh, wow. Is that he died at twenty one years old? And oh, man, okay, but they don't that do almost it made me laugh because it's not, it's not funny. Obviously, right? But I was like, "What? Are you serious?" Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a very small complaint. Uh, Kaluuya, I think, is is born to play this type of role. I don't think I've disliked anything he's done. He was the best part of Widows. I think mm -hmm. uh, he was probably the best part of Get Out. Uh, and I mean, he's, he's just a powerhouse. I think he's fantastic. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right, everybody. It's time to talk about movie once again. Yeah. movie. Um, you know, this service has gotten better than it was when we first started talking about 
I agree. I agree. There was a there was a time when, uh, and this was great, but it was a time when you know they would have a movie a day, and they would have movies that would last for a month, and then you had your last chance to watch it, and then it would be off the service. But now. Mm you seem to get they, they seem to be more collecting the movies now and they're they're putting it in the library at the end if you yeah. happen to miss it on this one try you can now watch it later or whatever um one of these movies that i got to watch um uh that's on there right now is yorgos lanthimos's dog tooth um, yeah. it is, <laughs> it is uh, yorgos lanthimos obviously is a guy who uh he's polarizing uh mm-hmm. the the movies he makes i mean the most accessible movie he's made is the favorite yeah and yeah. and the mm-hmm. favorite has its weirdness to it you know like but everything else he's done uh as at least the ones that you've heard of have this really like insane bent twist to it uh and everything and dog tooth is about family a, a couple and really the 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 father of the family uh so overprotective of his children he doesn't let them out ever and he's basically training them like dogs um, yeah it's the it's an even more fucked up version of the village Ooh. yeah 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 although i think they know that there's a world out there but they think the world is like violent and like immediate you're like immediate death if yeah, you walk yeah, out yeah. and everything they even think they have a brother on the other side of the wall who uh who is uh surviving out there and they're mm-hmm. throwing food to him and everything but this movie gets progressively more fucked up as it goes mm-hmm. along um <laughs> and uh and uh it's a uh, it looks like they've sort of got this competition going between the brother and his two sisters and whoever wins, however they win uh, through these weird competitions, like let's ha- see how long we can stick our finger under a hot uh, uh, faucet water dripping or whatever. And, uh, and stuff like that, they collect a number of points and then they get to pick whatever they want to pick or whatever. But the father's also like bringing this, a female security guard home so that the the brother can have sex i guess it's to learn about sex yep. i don't know yep. or just to, to have it like every guy like, i can see that they don't say this in the movie but the father is probably like you know like he needs to know he needs to he's a guy he needs to have sex so you know he brings this woman home to do that and but with that woman coming in to the house she's kind of introducing things uh in that they're not used to so a lot of times they'll they'll suddenly out of nowhere ask a question like you know what is this and then they'll the parents have to lie to them about what that thing is that they just heard so there's a point early on where you see them where the the uh where the younger sister is like will you pass the phone and they and the mom passes her a salt salt shaker and and it's a and that word phone is obviously something in the past that they heard about that they're not supposed to know about that they like oh. got lied to about, and uh, so that movie is fascinating. Uh, Dogtooth is fascinating. Um, it is it is like it's maybe a little bit too violent for some people. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the violence there's not much violence but when it does come it comes quick and unexpectedly a lot of yeah, time yeah 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 uh so it's it's all the more horrifying when it comes up 
Uh, but uh, but it's a fascinating movie, and it's worth it's worth getting the service for. I think if you if you want to see Dog Two, yeah, hmm. and and you know as much as they're adding to their collection at movie, it's still curated. You know what I mean? It's not just like the other streaming services where it's just oh well you'll get a Bond film on there every once in a while or like right. you know a bunch of other studios and things like this is these are curated films that are picked for a reason. And as as weird as Dogtooth is, it is very much an art, artistic film uh, that pushes you in different ways than, say, the standard fare would be. Mm-hmm. Um, in in terms of this one, man, Dogtooth is is messed up, uh, but uh, but I, I just love it. And like I've said before, Yorgos Lanthimos, <laughs> yeah, Yorgos right. Lanthimos is my uh, is my guy. Uh, I'd probably put it favorite lobster killing the sacred deer in this, but they're all great in my mind. Um, so if you want to watch that, go to movie.com slash cinema sends and you get a whole month free. So all this stuff that we were talking about that is curated and has multiplied over the years uh, is ready for you. Now you've been, you've been listening to us talk about this. Yeah, just go ahead and do it. I'm going to tell you about one movie real quick uh, that. Completely changed my perspective. Ooh. Jeremy, do you like, I know you watch a lot of like costume period dramas. Um, do you, is that like a, a thing of yours? Like you really like that genre or is it just that you happen to watch them, you know, flipping channels or something like that? Uh, it's more of the latter. Um, yeah. Now, uh, a lot of it is my wife. My wife could watch the most boring terrible costume period drama and love it just for the scenery and the costumes. Uh, <clears throat> that's not me, but I do like them. I got you. Okay. So, so I came across this, uh, this movie called beloved sisters. That's the English translation. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a German film directed by this incredibly prolific director, Dominic Graf, mm-hmm. um, uh, who had, I'd never heard of before. I hadn't heard of anybody that's in this movie. Uh, it looked interesting. And what's really weird to me is there's something, just something about some of these films that catch your eye. This movie's almost three hours long, and that's usually a non-starter for me. Mm. But it just, it, like, it just looked interesting. The story looked interesting. It's about two sisters that, as the title suggests, that are completely in love and devoted to each other, and not in a creepy way. Uh, I was thinking that may be the case. Uh, um, because especially they get into a quote love triangle uh, with this this German poet uh, who's based on a real person. All of this is based in uh, reality. Uh, Friedrich Schiller is the guy's name, and so as Schiller's star gets on the rise, um, the the two sisters fall deeply in love with him. One of them's married just by you know for money reasons, and so the other one gets married to this guy. But they do not. Um, abate their love for both each other and him the entire movie. And it's the weirdest love triangle I've ever seen. Yes, there is a tiny moment of jealousy and, you know, misunderstanding and stuff like that. But overall, man, they're, it's a tri- it's a literal triangle. They love each other as much as everyone loves them. And I've never really seen... Uh, something uh, projected that way. The other thing about this is it's shot gorgeously. Hmm. Um, this is 2014, and apparently uh, Donald Graf is known for um, his 
his scenery and things like that. And God bless it. This movie is beautiful to watch. Mm. So if you're, if you're interested in this kind of thing, um, it's got a very interesting ending too, uh, that I won't give away. I would totally recommend it. It's called beloved sisters. I'm not going to try the German pronunciation. Um, but, uh, it's on movie right now. And, there are a ton of stuff. If you want to watch the original Swept Away, not the Madonna Guy Ritchie version, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's on there right now. Uh, there's a lot of contemporary stuff on there. There's a bunch of shorts on there right now. Go to Mubi.com, M-U-B-I.com slash CinemaSins. You get a month, people. What? Do, I mean, come on. Come on. Just do it. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's a month for free, what do you have to lose? You're going to get great cinema. Uh, you know we wouldn't fiddle fart around and like lead you wrong. So go to movie.com slash cinemasins. Man, I, I really do have a lot to choose from. I couldn't figure out really. I mean, I, I no doubt watched over 20 movies this last week. <laughs> wow. Um, killing it, man. Uh, no, seriously. I mean, I, 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 20, 20 plus, And I was like, which one do I pick out of all of this? And I don't even know if this is the the right one or what, but you know, I mean, I, I struggled with what I was going to, I knew my, my octopus teacher was the one that was definitely going to be said. Then after nice. that, it's like, well, some of these, I don't want to talk about until we do the year end thing. Some mm. of these I could talk about now, but like, you know, which, which one's the one that stands out. I ended up on hashtag alive. Oh, um, this, I read your summary of this on the email and I am, very intrigued with this yeah it's a it uh it's a zombie movie from korea uh and a lot of you probably are like oh zombie movie (sighs) i don't want to watch a zombie movie um this takes a different uh angle um this isn't necessarily about somebody out in the wild and trying to evade zombies and getting shelter and all that, you know, the, the, the classic tropes of zombie movies. Mm. This is where a person's already in their shelter and they can't leave it and they don't have enough food to really survive, uh, a, a prolonged, uh, attack, um, outside. Uh, it opens up very simply, with this kid, uh, he he get, he finds a note from his family saying that they've left for the day. They were too excited about something, and they had to leave immediately. And here's some money for some groceries. And he's like, all right, whatever. And then he goes off and he starts playing a video game. Um, and uh, it's some online multiplayer thing, and he's sitting there, they're, you know, doing doing their whole thing. Uh, and uh, some one of his buddies is like, oh, do you see the news? What's going on? You know, so that's when the zombie attack starts. You know, you see the well, you see all the zombies out on the street. The news is all over it and everything. Uh, so he uh, he you know he stops playing the game. He goes outside and he sees all these you know all this craziness going out on the street. People getting chomped up and you know running people running all around and everything. Uh, and he's safe. He's absolutely safe. He doesn't have to go outside. The problem is he didn't go get groceries, did he? Ah. And his refrigerator is not filled. It's got a, it's got a few things. It's got enough to last him a, a few days, maybe. Hmm. Um, 
obviously this could go a number of directions. They could just make this about like some extreme hunger or something like that and turn it into another kind of horror movie. Uh, but that's not, that's not where this movie's going. It's, it's a little bit more lighthearted than that. Um, he is, uh, he is trying to figure out what he's, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? And eventually he, he finds another person, on the other side uh he's in a he's in an apartment building and there's this other woman in another apartment building of course directly the exact same height uh, <laughs> uh in another apartment building uh he's that, like Jane uh, rames and dawn of the dead from the top of the mall <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and uh there's some interesting things like how they how they try to end up communicating how do they end up doing a lot of different little tasks in this movie. I think, I think this movie could have taken this premise a lot further if they wanted to, it could have, mm. there could have been some things that would have made this a lot better. Mm. But what, uh, what, what it ends up being is this is just a, I mean, it's a fun, basic zombie movie, but with a different, you know, I mean, yes, they do have to evade zombies. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're going to be, there's going to be points where they're you know, the zombies after, in there. Trust me. Yeah. The zombies. But there's uh but there's all I mean, when it does come to that, when it does come to that, there are some some different little twists to those uh uh, uh kinds of uh meetings and you know, like the when they there's always I think in a zombie movie where somebody finds another person that's out there and it's mm -hmm. like, Oh my god, thank god there's somebody else out there and everything. Is this person completely safe? We don't know. We don't uh. know if that person is and so there's so there's a, a lot of li like little twists there too. So it's a fun movie. Hashtag alive. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it out of this, you know, 20 plus movies that I've watched. <laughs> it did stand out. So, uh, so uh, Very good. I, I would recommend it. That movie's Very right up my alley, movie. baby. That's right up my alley. Right down the mm -hmm. pike. Pike. <clears throat> Whatever. Pikey pipe. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I'm going to take a wreck of worn and turn it into a recommend with caveats. And I said right. caveats, not caveats, oh, because oh. I'm exactly not important. Oh. Um, <clears throat> the movie is from 2018 called American Woman, and it stars Sienna Miller. Um, and I had never heard of it and hilariously thought I was clicking to watch some sort of Lenny Kravitz documentary or something. <laughs> Um, I gotta go. I gotta get away. Uh, directed by Jake Scott, who directed uh, "Welcome to the Rileys," which we talked about a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, and uh, a, a movie late '90s called "Plunkett McLean." Mm -hmm. uh, but other that. than that, it's a lot of video shorts. Um, <clears throat> this movie is a recommend because of the performances. Um, Sienna Miller is not somebody I have ever considered a powerhouse actress. And that may be, that may say more about me than it does her simply because yeah. I haven't seen a lot of her work. You didn't see GI um, Joe rise of the Cobra. 
but, but when I've seen her, it's in stuff like that. And I never think of her as like an awards contender. And she's fucking awesome in this movie. Um, the movie takes place over a long time, I think 16 to 20 years. It starts out with her and she's a single mother with a 16 year old daughter and the 16 year old daughter has her own infant son. Hmm. Um, one of the caveats I'm giving you in this movie is it's depressing as hell. Um, Mm. and it will make you sad. Um, I think it will also make you happy in certain ways, but basically this entire movie is just beating her up left and right. So the first thing that happens, she's already, already a single mother (laughs) struggling with two small children, but then her 16 year old daughter goes missing. Um, and, um, after, panicking, blaming it on the ex-boyfriend who's the father of the little child. We jump ahead in time, and now that's a cold case. And uh, the boy is seven or eight years old, and she's raising him, um, and she's being encouraged to date. Um, So she dates a guy, and he's abusive. He's a dickhead, and she stays with him because he provides for them. So there's more turmoil and tragedy. She finally gets rid of him. And she starts dating um, Aaron Paul. Oh, look at and him. he's great in this movie. And he's finally the nice guy that she's never had in her life until he cheats on her. Um, oh. <clears throat> it's just, just keeps hammering this poor woman left and right with trials and tribulations. And I think the, the, the victory is, that she survives and still has the will to go on. Uh, and the movie ends with her and, and the now teenage grandson deciding they need a new town. They're going to leave this place. They've lived forever. And they, they go off down the road. Um, Wait, it, the daughter I, doesn't get found. Well, yes, I don't want to spoil oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's not happy. <laughs> um, and again, that's that's tragic, but it's just one of many tragic things this this woman has had to overcome. And I think what the movie is saying is that in small ways and big, a lot of American women um, are overlooked by society and face struggles similar to this all the time. Um, and uh, I was pretty moved by it. Uh, I found it very dark and uh, sad. Um, and I don't think the pacing works with the spread out over 16 to 20 years. Every time it time jumps... Uh, felt frustrating to me. Um, almost like this could have been a show or a miniseries uh, where we saw more what was in the gaps. Um, but uh, her performance blew me away, and that alone, I think, is reason to recommend it. So there you mm. go. Santa, Santa Miller is one of those. It, you know, I, I'm the same way about her. I don't I haven't. I've never. There's there's one performance I remember where people basically said she had arrived and that was factory girl and i had seen mm-hmm. that uh she plays edie sedgwick in that yeah she's um, awesome in that yeah she's awesome in that and so but then like it seems like every as, sienna miller it doesn't get prettier than her but she <laughs> seems to be like a chameleon in a way like every time mm-hmm. i see her i'm like i'm like uh, i don't is that she seems familiar. Who is she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was the way it was when you see her in American Sniper, and you're like, "Oh, I know I've seen this girl before. What? Where is it? Where is it? What is it?" 
and then you and then you the credits roll and you're like oh that was sienna miller (laughs) yeah you know so she she tends to do that somehow i don't know i don't know what it is but um I, I, you know, I, I feel like she's obviously she's got it in her to be like a, an awesome actress and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of times she seems to really blend in. Yeah, uh, she's agree. also in a, an excellent movie called Interview with Steve Buscemi uh, that I would recommend oh, to yeah. you guys. It's yeah. really, really good. She plays like a like a like an actress that he has to interview, um, even though like he's used to doing like presidential interviews and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh yeah it's really good oh uh, Steve Buscemi directed it uh, oh, oh. so yeah I would I, I would totally recommend that, that well you've seen Layer Cake right yeah but yes. that, that was another one I saw long ago <laughs> I got gotcha. you American yeah. Woman all right all right I'm gonna make mine quick because we've talked about this movie before uh, but I had a rediscovering and I want to get to some questions and it's Lincoln all right Steven Spielberg's Lincoln um. Oscar bait. What was it? Uh, 2011, 2012. That it came out. Um, and it was nominated. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Okay. It was nominated for a bunch. Uh, and, and I think Daniel day Lewis won for best actor, right? He did. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, this movie is also very long. It seemed long. Well, it's two and a half hours. Anyway, I, it came on, uh, right after grudge match <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. I was watching it the other day and uh I, man it pulled me in i know we've talked about this movie and maybe you guys are higher on it than i was but i put this movie uh, you know kind of down in the subpar uh post level of uh of steven spielberg movies uh i think this movie is awesome um, it's not what you think of when you think of Lincoln. He's not up there doing, uh, the Gettysburg address or anything like that. But what he does is it tells you how he communicated. And it's very, it's weird to say very Jesus like, mm-hmm. right. He tells stories that, that mm-hmm. famous scene, um, in the, uh, it's not in the white house, but that famous scene where he goes to get tea and he tells uh, the story of the guy that goes into the bathroom in England and sees the picture of George Washington. And, uh, you know, the punchline is, you know, uh, George Washington has always want to make Englishmen shit themselves mm-hmm. being in the bathroom. And you, you see the playfulness of Lincoln. You see the political savvy of Lincoln. You see how unbelievably smart he is. And how measured he is. And I guess it hit me, and this is so fucking cheesy. I know it is. I guess it hit me because you think we're divided now. We were even more divided with less communication back in 1865. (laughs) If you weren't aware, there was a civil war going on and people hated each other. Um, And this president somehow managed to help arrange the... uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Help arrange the uh, the uh, surrender of the uh, uh, the the Union or not the Union Army, the Southern Army, Army, Confederate Army, uh, and also to keep the country together. And God, it it gave me a little bit of hope, I guess. Mm. And uh, it it really did amaze me 
how it was paced. I know it's a little bit long, and there's a Joseph Gordon-Levitt that I don't think needs to be in there. But no, like, at all. No. Yeah. Uh, but, like, it, it was. it's very, very impressive how they pulled this off. And especially, obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis is fantastic at everything. But this is... This shot to like his upper echelon performances to me. I think he's great. I don't know if I will ever like this movie, but I respect your enjoyment of it this time around. Um, uh, the, the main takeaway for me is still, I mean, it, it, I'm glad it gives you optimism. <laughs> it depressed the fuck out of me to know yeah. that even Lincoln had to cheat and do some underhanded shit in order to get, slavery abolished <laughs> like really depressed me that this guy yeah. i'd been told was a hero had according to this movie done the same kind of bribing and threatening shit that goes on i imagine it has always gone on in all forms of government uh arm twisting and whatnot all the james spader subplot stuff is mm -hmm. very amusing and very mm -hmm. like i like that part of the movie but like I came away with the movie thinking he was more flawed than I thought before. I um, see. I more, like that. You're human. right. You're right. Yeah. 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 I get yeah. it. I get it. Um, because nothing, nothing is perfect. And uh, I don't want to be results oriented thinking about this, but it was a means to an end that was a worthy end. I think that was worth doing all that. Um, mm -hmm. Now you can, I mean, you can't debate the end of slavery is a worthy end for anything. But, no, uh, uh, no, I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm not saying you personally. <laughs> wouldn't it have been great if we could have banned slavery because we had the votes because it was the right thing to do? Yep. Uh, I'm, obviously, it was historically it was the right thing for him to do to have done that, but it's still murky. It's murky, yeah. man. It is. It is. It ain't. <laughs> it ain't pure. It's. Uh, it. It doesn't set up a. Happy, happy ending. Yeah, there's like a rah-rah moment uh, when, uh, who is it, the, the one senator that's like, fuck it, let's, you know, I vote I or whatever. Yeah, it, it historically, it's not a super happy ending. Well, and, and also, not only did he have to cheat to get to that point, as we find out with the Juneteenth holiday and everything, it took until June yep. until Texas got, uh, you know, they got the word about it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Was fucked up on another level. Yeah, yes, um, yeah. And all uh, the Jim Crow stuff, obviously, too. That that was was part of the negotiation with the uh, the Confederates. Oh yeah. You know? I mean, that, I mean, it's why we still have <laughs> problems today is because yep. of that compromise. I mean, they yeah. had all the power in the world to yeah. change all of that and didn't. Yeah. Um, I remember watching this, and I really liked Lincoln. Uh. I was the same way about Robert Lincoln stuff that was in this. Didn't seem to need to be in there at all. <laughs> uh, Sally Field, who I like a lot. Um, I didn't like her in this. I didn't, oh, really? She, she was nominated for an Oscar, and I was like, I didn't like her in this movie. I just, just didn't like anything about it. Um, so there were some things about that. So, like, overall, I remember liking this movie, uh, but I haven't seen it since it came out. Uh, I just remember like, you know, Sally Field, not as good as I thought she was, you know, as not as good as Oscar nominated worthy. And uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character needs to go away. <laughs> now, this movie, if you could call a cast stuffed, this movie mm -hmm. is yeah. stuffed. 
Yeah. Adam Driver shows up out of nowhere. Jared Harris yeah. is fucking Ulysses S. Grant. Hal Halbert yeah. plays a big role in this. And like, you know, like everywhere you look is like a new famous person. Uh, who was the, uh, well, Bruce McGill is one of them, but oh, who is the Democrat that decided he's going to flip? I don't know. Yeah. And Jackie Earl Haley shows up at the very end. as like this Weasley uh, fucking vice president. Cow. No, Tommy Lee Jones, I, I love his character. I think his character was was beautifully done. Um, but uh yeah, there was there was another Michael Stuhlbarg, that's who it was, uh, that stood yeah. up. He was like, I vote I and he was all yeah. very dramatic about it because that's mm-hmm. Michael Stuhlbarg. Yes. I studied at <laughs> Juilliard. Um to recap, Jeremy Recca warned irresistible um did you say you saw it on netflix uh hbo HBO max hbo max um and uh, you also wreck a warned american woman where did you see that one um flipping channels uh, I'll find uh, out. Flipping channels. Just flip channels, guys. <laughs> flip channels, folks. <laughs> Hang on. Hulu. It's on Hulu. Um, I recommended my octopus teacher, which is on Netflix. Uh, and I also recommended hashtag alive, which is also on Netflix. Barrett recommended Judas and the black Messiah, which is on HBO max. Now. For only a few more window, days. Yeah. That window of Social time. Media, yeah where it's playing the big movies and then it goes into that limbo window where, you know, it's, I guess, I guess you could pay for the stream uh, once it gets off of the free HBO max. Yeah. Um, and then uh, recommended Lincoln, uh, 2012 Spielberg uh, joint with Daniel day Lewis. I can't recommend Judas and the black Messiah to you two in particular heavily enough i think you guys would love this movie uh now i've built it up too much and you're gonna be like "Hmm." (laughs) that's how we do Uh, i'm definitely going to watch that at some point uh yeah better watch it before it uh goes off the well oh i mean i would i would pay for it obviously but uh if it's i'd pay for it if you if you yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna have it up there uh, i I, you know if you can have it up there i'm gonna i'm gonna watch that i'm gonna watch that at some point there you uh, go. Any, uh, uh, you got some questions? Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Uh, okay. First one is there. Are there any TV show intros that you won't skip when binging the show? I usually skip them myself, but the one that I just can't skip is Ghost Adventures. And mm. I end up saying the intro out loud with it for better or worse. Now that's. The tagline to that is the most interesting part of that question. But anyway, yeah. what do you guys think? I'm going to tell you something right now. I never skip the intros. Never. Wow. That's uh, crazy. I, I love the intros. Even even the ones that like aren't even that good, I sit through them. Um, like... Uh, yeah i I don't like skipping over that type of stuff and i think the reason why is maybe because when i was a kid uh a lot of my like bedtime ritual was the 10 o'clock or the nine o'clock shows or whatever Mm -hmm. i would see the opening intro of something and that would be my my like my last thing that i could watch before going to bed or whatever so i you know knew a lot of these intros to some 80s tv shows um but i don't know man i love intros i just love them um Ooh, and, wow uh, 
And uh, if you, and I, and I have watched TV with people where they forward through the intros and I always like, well, I'm the guest here, I guess. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. And then of course, in the streaming platforms, I think all of them have a skip intro option, mm-hmm. at least after the first one. Uh, I remember the undoing fucking show. Uh, the undoing after that first one, uh, had the skip intro after that. And I sure did because it was long and stupid. Well, sometimes you skip an intro because they couldn't get the rights for the song. And so like my wife hates the Dawson's Creek intro on streaming services. Cause it doesn't have that. Oh, Paula, what? Paula, whatever song on it. Where have all the cat? No, uh, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. Yeah. What'd you say? Paula who? I don't know. Patton, Poundstone, some, some Paula. <laughs> Paula Poundstone. Absolutely. No, it was, uh, it was, wasn't it, was it Natasha Bedingfield who did that? No, uh, no, 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 no. It's, uh, one of uh the... it was, no, it was Paula something. Uh, it was. Paula Cole. <clears throat> Paula Cole. Paula Cole. Um, so there's some kind of, I, I remember looking it up a long time ago when she got mad about it, but there's some kind of rights kerfuffle where they don't have the rights to that song. Um, and I think there's actually like a few episodes or one season where they have that song on streaming. And then the rest of the seasons have this other bullshit song my wife absolutely hates. And so she skips the <laughs> intro because of that. I never even thought me, about that. But if you were to ask me what my favorite one is there's several that i enjoyed sitting through um uh but the the most i would say one of the the, one of the best is one of the most recent is stranger things yeah Um, yeah that is good it really really gets me in the mood to watch that show although i don't know like that show started to become a little bit more uh what do you what would you call it over the next few seasons even though it was fine there wasn't any real, didn't seem like there was any real danger to anything. No, it, it got a little more goofy, you know, yeah. a lot more of the slapstick humor between the fuzzy headed Keir and my kid and, uh, Maya Hawk and everything. And yeah. Just a little and campier. it was fine. It was just, it just, uh, but there is, there is something to that stranger things intro. It is, it's, it's very retro. It's very nostalgic and everything. That's what a, a lot of movies in the eighties would do with their titles and everything. They would have that same font. They'd have that electronic, you know, all that going on. And there's something about it, but, uh, and it goes on like forever. Like yeah. if you're an intro, if you're a person who hates intros, this is a skip for you. But, uh, <laughs> every time, every time it comes on, I'm like, yeah, all right. Time to watch some stranger things. And I just let it go. I just let it run. Awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, w- I wish that was me. I really do because I think I'm just too much of a cynic and I want that 10 seconds so that, you know, later on in life, I've piled all those 10 seconds from intro skipped into like nice. an hour or something. Nice. I got that final hour. <laughs> got an extra yeah. hour, you bitches. Um, the one for me that I'm settling on was Band of Brothers. Um, which I watch probably once a year, usually whenever HBO has it on Marathon, uh, which tends to be around uh, things like Veterans Day, um, <clears throat> days where we're honoring our military. Um, it's one of the best miniseries ever made. But what I love about the intro is it's its its own 
perfect piece of score. Uh, and you've got some images from the show, but it's just score. And it's that. It's really moving. And I felt like the combination of that emotional score and then every episode went right into score free interviews with the real people for about 30 to 40 seconds before they would flash into the episode. There's something about that combination of events that I feel that sets me up perfectly for the episode. It gets me in the right frame of mind. Um, it you know, gets my emotions soaring, then reminds me these are real people I'm about to watch. Um, so that's one I never skip. I usually skip them all, I will admit, uh, but that one I don't. It's interesting you both kind of have a derivative of like, this gets me in the mood for a show. And I think that's the best you can hope for if you're doing one of these opening title sequences, yep. right? It's just like... Yep. You know, is this necessary? Game of Thrones famously, of course, mm-hmm. did this, uh, where there's actual narrative pieces in that. Yeah. Uh, if you if you want to pay attention to it, um, I have two, and I have I think good reasons for both of them. One is uh, Breaking Bad. Okay, the and that's it. Dramatic entrance. That's it. And man, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that every time. There is an option to skip that on netflix i don't even know if it's still on netflix but i'm like first of all that's like five seconds long and i understand that you could say five seconds and get an extra 50 minutes at the end of your life but <laughs> what, what the reason that this is you mentioned a cue chris like right before you go to bed i i never watched uh, breaking bad in real time so i always binged it and mm-hmm. That shit would run together, man. Like each episode going into the next one, going into the next one, because I just, it's so addictive to me that I never stopped. The only mm-hmm. thing that told me that there was differentiating an episode was that opening. <laughs> Cause when mm-hmm. I heard the don't, oh, I was like, oh, that was a, that's a new episode. Okay. It's mm-hmm. been eight hours on the couch. I should probably stop this. Uh, but I also love the twanginess of it. I love the sinister yeah. notion of it. And it's great. It's kind of like a morphine song, right? Like a morphine guitar riff. You <laughs> yeah, know, it's a wild pull. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one is uh, the opening theme for The Sopranos, uh, which is by a band called Alabama Three. And it's that woke up this morning. I fucking love that song, man. Mm-hmm. It's so badass. My uh, ex-girlfriend used to have it on CD and we would play it all the time for whatever reason. It's just one of those songs that I love. I hated her and I hated her car, but I love that song and I could listen to it. One of the only score-based songs that I could listen to outside of the actual thing. And uh, that credit sequence was balls too. I used to play that song on Lightning 100 as just a song. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that actually. Yeah. I also um, like that intro because it shows him driving and then you're just like, there's no, there's not even any pretense that this is New York mafia. Like this is Jersey through and through. Like, it sure is. Don't <laughs> yeah. misunderstand where we are, people. Because, <laughs> yeah, it shows him being a badass, but then it's like New Jersey Turnpike this way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> uh, that song is awesome. Uh, the, you know, you, you mentioned Game of Thrones. The other thing about Game of Thrones is not just not just the beauty of the uh low the all the stuff that they're doing on that map and everything mm. but uh there was also a dramatic thing that would happen because if you're used to the credits at the beginning if you're watching the credits 
um, if you know a character has died in a previous episode and they suddenly don't show up in the credits in the next episode, oh. there was something that was always dramatic about that. Um, like you watch the first season of Game of Thrones and like Sean Bean is like, bam, bam, bam. He's there every time. Sean Bean, Sean Bean. And then he dies and it's like suddenly Peter Dinklage is the first one. That you know? <laughs> or not Peter Dinklage, but somebody, you know, somebody. Who I think or Peter Sean Dinklage did. Yeah, I think uh, Peter Dinklage did end up being the top uh, credit at one point on uh, Game of Thrones, the first one you'd see. He was my my favorite part of that whole... uh, I only watched really the first half of the series and then the last season he was always my favorite part like other people yeah, would yeah, come and good. go but he's just so good he, he was uniformly excellent all the way through even yeah. when the that last season was was pissing on everybody at the end uh <laughs> peter Dink was still good the dragons were pissing all over everybody oh, pissing they fire raining. they were just raining pee on it uh, constellation urine <laughs> <laughs> I did a Blade Trilogy rewatch last weekend. God bless you. When I got Mm -hmm. to the third one, I was uh, shocked at how deep the talent bench was uh, for them and future stars. Check IMDb, setting aside uh, Snipes and uh, Chris Christopherson. This movie has Ryan Reynolds, Jessica Biel, Parker Posey, Natasha Lyonne, Patton Oswalt, Callum Carrot, Keith Ronnie, John Michael Higgins, Dominic Purcell, Eric Bogosian, James Remar, and the WWE's Triple H... So my question to the group is, can you find a movie with a deeper bench that made as crappy of a movie as this one? (laughs) I went deep diving and read about all the production troubles, uh, all that stuff. Uh, That broke my heart. I love the third Blade movie. (laughs) I kind of love the third Blade movie, too. I think that's my favorite of the the franchise. I had a I don't know the Thursday night that I watched this, which was the last time I saw Blade Trinity. I I, <laughs> I, hated, I hated that movie so much. Oh no! <laughs> uh, if I watch it again, maybe maybe I'll have that same kind of uh, feeling. But um, uh, you know, this actually happens a lot. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of movies where they they uh, they have like this stellar cast. And somehow the movie sucks that they, they made. It seemed like they made tons of these in the nineties at one point where it was always like something like you had Sean Penn, Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright and all this. And they would all, the movie would always be terrible. For some U-turn. Huh? <laughs> U-turn. What? Uh, you- yeah, U-turn was one. That was, although U-turn <laughs> has its charms. Um, but uh, the, the first movie that I thought of was Valentine's day. Yeah. Ooh. Oh and my God. Sort of a, I mean, this is a thing. Like, I think Love actually made people believe that they could make these kind of movies, uh, you know, on the regular. And and that that I I think they thought that oh, look at all these stars that are in Love Actually. Well, let's just put a whole bunch of stars in some movie with no script, and people will still love this uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, some of these are huge hits. I think Valentine's Day was a huge hit. Yeah, um, he's not uh, that into you. Know, the, yeah, he's not. He's just not that into you. And uh, uh, New Year's Day and all these movies. <laughs> um, but uh, Valentine's Day has 
uh, Julia Roberts, Emma Roberts, Jessica Alba, Jessica Beale, another Jessica Beale, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. Queen, Queen Latifah, Kathy Bates, Bradley Cooper, Jamie Foxx, Patrick Dempsey, Anne Hathaway, Jennifer Garner, Topher Grace, Shirley MacLaine, Ashton Kutcher, and the Tay-Tays, Taylor Swift and Taylor Lautner are both in this too. Uh, Wait, Topher Grace is in that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't re- I, I send that movie and I forgot Topher Grace was in this. Because Ashton Kutcher is the uh, the main guy, right? The really annoying. Yeah, let me, let me look Valentine. this up real quick, just in case I fuck something up. No, you're probably right. I would totally believe it. Uh, Topher I Grace may... is in Irresistible, by the way, which I uh, uh, record. No, Topher Grace is, is listed for Valentine's Day. Nice, so. nice. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was wearing like a prosthetic or something. You didn't recognize. <laughs> um, but. Uh, anyway the um that that movie is 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 bad it's really bad <laughs> and bradley cooper's in that he's just not that into you too fucking hey man. yeah he is yeah he is fuck? paycheck bradley oh. uh I, I go with pearl harbor um mm. which uh <laughs> has a lot of famous had a lot of famous people in it at the time but has a few people who have since become famous uh so i'll rattle off these ben affleck josh hartnett kate beckinsale jennifer garner Tom Sizemore, Jamie King, Alec Baldwin, John Voight, Cuba Gooding Jr., Michael Shannon, Dan Aykroyd, William Fickner, Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, and mm-hmm. sitcom favorite Ted McGinley. Ah, All yeah. of them are in Ted McGinley. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, and that's yeah, a bad and that movie. That's, that's a bad movie. That may be. Yeah, you think that's the worst Michael Bay movie? No. No, Michael Bay can't possibly be because there's at least decent action in a couple of spots in Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor has a great trailer. Um, it does. Yeah, uh, uh, trailer with the kids playing baseball or the and the planes flying low over the hills. And you see yeah. the bomb perspective as it goes down and hits the ship and all that. What's the worst Michael Bay movie? Let's do a whole podcast on that at some point because I'm sure I can find <laughs> something worse too? than Pearl Harbor. Well. Uh, Bad Boys there. Two would be up there. Uh, one of the latter Transformers would be up there. Oh yes. yeah, yes. that was a blank. Well, spot. He's directed yeah. all of those, hasn't he? Yes, he has. So the most recent one is the worst. The one with the fucking King Arthur, Anthony Hopkins bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, <laughs> was it the last night or yeah 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 Knights yeah. of the Round yeah. Cybertron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. Did he do? He may have not done. He, I know he didn't do Bumblebee, but he did all the other Transformers. So, and Bumblebee yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, I know Bumblebee. Yeah, Bumblebee was pretty enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to come out a complete left field uh, for you people. Uh, it is a uh, 1999 American comedy film called 200 Cigarettes that nobody oh. remembers. Oh, I remember uh, this. It's an it's New Year's Eve in like 1981, and uh, there's a bunch of people in New York. Uh, going to a party and going to clubbing and doing New Year's stuff. Totally forgettable. It's a bad, bad movie. But listen to this cast, especially given 1999 standards. Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, Dave Chappelle, Elvis Costello, Angela Featherstone, Janine Garofalo, Gabby Hoffman, Kate Hudson, Courtney Love, Jay Moore, Martha Plimpton, Christina Ricci, and Paul Rudd. That cast yeah. is awesome, but that yeah, movie blows. You guys have uh, cool. seen this, right? I, I no, never I, saw it. I remember the poster. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. I didn't. It's a good poster. I didn't like it. Yeah, but there neither. was 
it seemed like, and, 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 and it's going to end up, there's only like three or four or something, but it seemed like there were so many movies coming out around that time that had cigarettes in the title yeah. and it was so fucking pretentious, man. <laughs> Coffee and cigarettes, Coffee 200 and cigarettes. cigarettes. Like it's these screenwriter things like, Hey, I smoke a lot of cigarettes. That's really story worthy somehow. Mm-hmm. And they write that shit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, cigarettes and heroin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry. That wasn't, that wasn't yep. a movie. No, it probably I would, is. I bet I, I, I bet I could type in. I bet I could type in cigarettes and heroin, and something close would come up at least, <laughs> if not that exact title. It stars Billy Crudup. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he directed it somehow. He directed right. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Produced it. Wrote it. Is there a supporting character in a movie that you wish had more screen time or didn't get killed off too early? I recently rewatched The Long Kiss Goodnight. Excellent idea. And was kind of sad when Brian Cox was killed. His part was so fun and hilarious with the amount of time he had on screen, but I wanted more. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, when I was trying to answer this question, I was like, I know there's like several that fit into this category, but I couldn't think of them right off the bat. But one of them I thought of uh, was George Carlin in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah. The way this the way this movie is, he could have easily shown up two or three more times uh, in this movie since it's a road trip movie, and they're and and Jay and Silent Bob are you know you know going from New Jersey to California, and George <laughs> Carlin who has this memorable cameo talking about you got to give head to the to the driver before he gives you a ride and all that. Um, uh, he could have shown up at least two or three more times. Now that movie is chock full of like, just, I mean, talk about a, a lot of people, a lot of comic talent yeah, and everything yeah. just show up in that. Uh, I mean, Will Ferrell it becomes the Will Ferrell show for a while in that, yeah, uh, yeah. in that thing. But I think it would have been nice to have a little like an aside every once in a while, like, Hey, I see you guys are coming. I'm we're in the same place again. Amazing. You know, that type. <laughs> and he just does something else funny or whatever. Uh, yeah. So yeah, George Carlin in that movie would have been fun. Hmm. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Freddie Miles and talented Mr. Ripley. This is the mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman character who mm. gets four scenes in the movie. Five if you count a location change. We see him. We meet him when Jude Law and uh, Ripley uh, go to Rome for the first time, and they're eating and. He mentions him, and then literally Freddie Miles drives up. But ciao, bella! Don't you just want to fuck every woman once? Um, <laughs> and they embrace. And then they, the next scene is they're at a record shop, and he's in there listening to records with Jude Law, giving the stink eye to Ripley. And then Ripley goes sightseeing, goes home alone, wakes up the next morning, and... Freddie Miles is there and says, "I want your job, Tommy. You know, you eat Dickie's food, you wear Dickie's clothes." Uh, it's all paid for by Dickie's dad. If you quit, I'll take that job. The next scene, they're on the boat. That's the, how's the peeping? Yeah, yeah. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. And then yeah. the, his last scene is when he shows up at that apartment that is registered to Dickie, but uh, Ripley's living there, uh, and he ends up getting killed. What I, what I love about this character is he's the only one who completely sees through Ripley's bullshit from day one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even Marge, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, loves him at first and only suspects him at the end when he's the only real option. Uh, but from the first time he meets him in that, that record 
room where he's like giving him the stink eye, basically saying, you are such a putz. He's saying it with a face. Um, and I love that about him. And I, I like to believe, don't tell me I'm wrong, but I like to believe they shot more scenes with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character because I feel like Tom needs more Freddy in his life. Now, the detective comes in after that and he sort of unsettles Tom a little bit. Um, but Tom basically has it easy he uh, sure for does most of this. like lucky he's, mr he's ripley not, <laughs> he is not as talented as he is fortunate um and i just feel like that character is so good and it, it may be one of those things where he's so good because he's used so sparingly and if we did get more of him it would ruin it um but when he's on screen in that movie it's electric and i, I just love it that happens quite a bit right leave him wanting more that type of yeah. thing yeah it may be that I tell you what, man, I would not have guessed that uh, from them. I've watched that movie probably three or four times, and I would have said that he's in 30, 40% of the movie because he's so yeah. outsized. His yep. his scenes seem to go on pretty long. I mean, that, that scene where he's coming up to the apartment, and isn't Ripley in the shower or something like that? Or is that when... Uh, no, he's playing the uh, piano. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it just seems like he's in more of that movie, but uh, that's that's a good one. I like that. I'm yeah. going to watch that movie Thank again. You. Yeah, um, I like it a lot. i tell you what, I've got some some weird ones. Uh, my favorite part of the movie A Star is Born, the Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga version, is Dave Chappelle. Dave oh. Chappelle's really, really good in that, and it's obviously a very different role than he's ever had. <clears throat> I think he's got like one zinger in there. Uh, you can tell now if you've seen his later stand-up how deep and gravelly his voice has gotten. Also, how jacked he's gotten. Uh, I don't know what sort of fitness plan he's on, but he's a whole different character when he goes down to. I think he lives in Memphis. Uh, when he goes down to visit um, Chappelle and his wife, and they basically nurse him back to health, and he gives him a bit of a pep talk. That's not a side of Dave Chappelle that you've ever seen. And mm. now that he's kind of in this more thoughtful phase, you could say, uh, I think he, I wouldn't say wasted, but I think it's only like two scenes that he's in. And I would have mm -hmm. liked to seen a lot more of that and a lot less of Bradley Cooper grumbling and drunkenly. <laughs> 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 You steal my fucking voice. Um, and I want to mention that uh, I think the character of Rue got short shrifted in in, uh, in the Hunger Games because she was super interesting. Yeah, exactly. She was super interesting. You know, she was she was the only one besides Peter that really wanted to team up with Katniss. And she was also shown to be have like actual skills instead of Peter with his fucking ice cream frosting thing that he does to camouflage, which is some bow shit. I want to see Rue and Katniss on that, that, uh, that trailer thing at the end and teaming up to be badasses. But I'm she sort got of conflicted about, she did. I'm kind of conflicted about it. Cause my gut reaction is that it's kind of manipulative, um, to the audience. But then at the same time, I feel like it helps set the stakes for the audience. Um, but I would have preferred they killed somebody besides her, especially since she's gone on to show she's such a great actress. Uh, she could have done, mm -hmm. you know, if she if Rue had lived and then been in the sequels, that could have been. She rad. Didn't the hate you give, the hate the you man. give, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I think, and obviously, you know, the the book was written by Susan Collins long before, but like, I think you've set up PETA so hard to be a protagonist that I think they could have killed him and had the exact same outcome with a better uh, character going forward in the, in the series. But mm. what do I know? I don't yeah, I mean, a, yeah, it, 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 it does, uh, it does become a rallying cry and everything, her death, but you know, I mean, in a movie where everybody's supposed to die except one person, it's kind of hard to like hold on to anybody, you know? <laughs> well, exactly. That, that, my point is that if they are going to kill everybody except for one, <laughs> that it mm-hmm. should have been Peter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And Rue at the end, but uh, yeah, no, 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 should, okay. shouldn't have been able to get away with his fucking bullshit, you know, uh, cake decorator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cake, you know, I'm a I'm a cake decorator. So I mean, this is this is exactly like Bill Murray saying my my dad's a piano mover, and that's why you know, <laughs> he should not be able to live until the end of this movie if he's a cake and into the next ones. Uh, yeah. He's a cake fucking decorator. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on uh, CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter. We're on Discord and we're on uh, SoundCloud. If you want to get on Discord uh, currently, I believe it is just go to Facebook and private message me and I'll give you a link uh, there. Uh, yeah. Reddit may have it somewhere. But, who knows? Uh, yeah. I tell you who what, knows though, anymore? it's March getting ready for sin week people it's coming it's coming <laughs> soon march 22nd to the 26th right um, sounds right i, I believe that is correct. I'm, <laughs> I'm relying on you to be right about that uh, i believe that is right yeah it's going to be a virtual sin week uh you don't have to travel anywhere please don't uh just uh log on after you uh get on cinema or patreon.com slash cinema sins uh sign up at any level and uh, you get access to three bonus videos. That means five for the day or five for the week. That would be a lot. Four different panels, all kinds of fun stuff. And you get to hang out with us. And isn't that the best gift of all? It is. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, Sin mm-hmm. Week, March 22nd. Go to patreon.com slash cinemasins and sign up. All right, that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. And the punchline, of course, is wrong hole. <laughs> he's telling this to a japanese guy though so there is no punchline for masa so he's just smiling and nodding the whole time like mm-hmm. can you imagine a joke like that where they're saying something in your language and you're like yeah all right what's what's the big fucking deal bitch yeah that's, that's like um when the when when that dude at trivia from germany used to show up all the time and and like you're trying to explain trying to explain why that's what she said was a joke like try to try to explain to somebody who doesn't know that why that is supposed to be funny well so the german guy didn't know why it was funny no 
at all. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. You... I mean, you gotta understand that he, <laughs> I think he basically just kind of got, made it through by hearing yeah. a word or two. <laughs> and then when you said, that's what she said, then you had to f- describe why that's funny. Well, it sounds <laughs> like something that's sexual and, and, and it'd be like, put it in the right <laughs> hole. And you're like, Yeah. <laughs> oh jesus i don't have any i don't have something long enough to do this that's what she said Uh, (laughs) no i was singing the uh nothing but a good time chris because uh i read this excerpt in rolling stone uh from yet another book of the la scene in the mid 80s that turned Mm -hmm. into the big rock explosion Mm -hmm. and uh it's the same thing that you and i have read in that guns and roses book because yeah. the segment, the excerpt is all about how Guns N' Roses form. You know, Tracy mm-hmm. Guns and Izzy Staradlin and all those guys. And But the article is written like a fucking Californians episode. No, where they're really. like, we went up to the Troubadour and like we went down south <laughs> by Franklin Street. <laughs> and Axel was living <laughs> up in like the West Hills. Oh, and we had God. to take the five all the way over there to get to the Roxy. <laughs> like, God, there, there are some articles. I don't know if it's the article's <laughs> fault or if it's the people telling the story and like the interview's fault or whatever. Yeah, this is an oral history. So I think I think it is their fault. Um, but like there are some articles that you read and you're like, uh, and it's like, Anne Hathaway comes in fastidiously to the, the cafe where I'm sitting enjoying a cigarette. And you're just like, that doesn't fucking matter. No, nobody, it could be five nobody words. cares. <laughs> fastidiously. <laughs> it's like that goes wrong show where they add extra adjectives to make the run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know the the whiskey uh, lounge and I know the troubadour and stuff like that, but and I know that stuff pretty well. Like anybody else reading this article is just me like, mm. the fuck are they talking mm. about? Yeah, no, Franklin and Elm Street. Who the hell cares mm-hmm. where the fuck that is? Yeah, or like uh, you know, we played the the Garazzi and then we went over to Candor's Deli. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus Christ! It's the same thing as if you were to try to tell anybody something that's going on in a Nashville neighborhood or whatever. Went over to Green Hills and then, you know, uh, you know, went to uh, went down the Natchez Trace and you know, I mean, (laughs) well, dude, I'm getting to the point where I don't even know where people are talking about. Like fucking when uh, Kevin was telling where they're moving, and it was like WeHo or something like I know where WeHo is, but it was something else. That he said, and I was like, mm-hmm. they started making up Not. neighborhood names for like two block areas now, and I, <laughs> I don't like it. Like no. I, every time I read about a new restaurant in the Gulch, I'm like, well, been nice knowing you. I'll never fucking go there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the traffic and then the line out the door. The Gulch is just does no. It's a it's a well, deal breaker for me. I'm not going fucking there. Yeah, same here. The uh, the the gulches was one of those uh, like it was a. I didn't even. I don't think I even knew that was getting built when it was getting built. Yeah, and 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 I just happened to drive through it one day. I was like, "Is this even Nashville? Like, it just doesn't even seem like Nashville." And, uh, There's like free garage parking and like walking spaces and everything. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just... yeah. 
then they started doing that whole thing that New York does with all their neighborhoods, right? Where you have Soho is south of Houston. So now they started doing this thing where it's south of Demumbrian. So now we got Sobro, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. And, uh, uh, it makes it sound hip, but it's really just, uh, it, there's no character to these places. They're just, no. it's just a location. It's just downtown. That's all downtown yeah. to me. Yeah. Where, yeah. where are you going? You know, downtown. like the song. Like the song. <laughs> That's perfect, George. <laughs> downtown. <laughs> they still make movie shows. I'm at the corner yeah. of 41st and 41st. How can yeah. the same no, it's street first itself? First and first. Is that the nexus of the nexus of the universe? <laughs> because I, am, I have a super important one myself. Mm. Uh, can't wait can't mm. wait to share mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gonna be about tacos or something <laughs> you're not far off mm-hmm. you're not far off <laughs> what did you think of killing of a sacred deer i don't think i've oh, asked well, you about I saw it two weeks ago because it was picked in the um um the thing with the people from the theater that i watch movies with every once in a while that and uh Baccarat was picked out of nowhere. That oh, interesting. <laughs> I got the yeah. I got the slay one pretty, of pretty the good uh, movie. Slay one of the twenty five movies that Aaron put down, but Killing of a Sacred Deer didn't like. Yeah. I, didn't I like. mean it's it's divisive. I loved it, but I understand. Yeah, I totally it's, understand. It's, it's got it it's got his quirkiness, but it's also got seriousness to it. And it's hard to it's not like scrubs, right? Where you can believe there's a, you know, a way to balance that drama and the comedy and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and killing yeah. of a sacred deer. When Colin Farrell is going off about, we don't have the right, like, what is it? He says something about, we don't have a, a dove feather and pubes or some shit. He throws pubes in there. He's like, he's like, he's like, what we're dealing with here is magic. I don't have, we, and, and we're, the only way we're going to be able to fix this is if we find a dove feather and we find this and some pubes. And I don't see, I don't think we have any dove feather or pubes anywhere around here. And he's like opening up drawers and throwing shit out and everything. And I'm like sitting there. I love this scene. But then there's like a lot of just seriousness to it afterwards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, like, yeah. it's like, uh, come on, balance this. So. I can't remember the movie, but there was some movie I didn't like in the last few years, and people were all like, he's doing a riff on this 150-year-old Russian story, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, yeah. well, well, how does that fucking help me? Yeah, it doesn't help me. Exactly. I don't care if he was like inspired by some piece of greatness. I need to be able to understand what I'm watching from beginning to end without having, like you said, I don't want, I'm not Morgan Freeman in seven. I'm not going to go to the library and read books all night just to fucking understand the movie I'm watching. Sorry, yeah. that was your rant. I stole it. It's so great. My father introduced me to Monty Python and I've watched all that stuff. My favorite part of that skit though, is that uh, there's a, it's set in the present day. Like it's just, you know, Graham uh, Chapman, and Eric Idle and just kind of like walking in in the present day and the short order cook is going in there. And as soon as they say, I don't like spam, there's just a table of Vikings. <laughs> they're just like spam, 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 spam. <laughs> Nobody acknowledges that they're Vikings. <laughs> I've only heard the audio uh, version of that. So I, I, oh, I never saw the too. visual of it. Oh, it's so great. I got spam, spam, uh, bacon, eggs. <laughs> Sausage and spam. <laughs> this is side one, and then like the yeah, the it, Mike Mike uh, gave me a 
um, tape off of a record or something. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess it was, it probably was a CD, but they still kept in all the album stuff. Like, this is side two. And, uh, and everything and like, it's like, uh, <laughs> we skipped over a few things. There was some lovely acting in there and, uh, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, there were some, there were a few offensive things. It was like one boob and a foreskin, you know, or something. <laughs> you were talking about, uh, costume dramas and like the thing that entered my head immediately was Bridgerton. Cause remember how, uh, we both had seen the first couple of episodes and mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten through it. And I was, I was a little disappointed too in the racy content because I was just like, you know, I thought this show was about fucking. Yeah. And, uh, me too. And, uh, and so there were, I, I went ahead and watched the rest of the series, the season. And, uh, it does get into some more fucking than usual. <laughs> <laughs> Should I should I pull the trigger on the rest of Bridgerton? Is it worth? Yeah, I would. It's it's just I think it's just good enough to watch right. the rest right. of the way. Yeah, I thought it was all right. I thought it was good. Also on Bridgerton, the phrase "pulling the trigger" means something completely different. It does. It does. Oh, nut shots? Or I, I mean, I'm uh, just I have been talking out of my ass. You could ignore me. <laughs> I'm just making that up. I mean, there is. I, I believe it. <laughs> I mean. Uh, there's, you know how they, the one thing that I got tired of during that whole thing, and I guess that I, I suppose this is something that happened back in the day, but they're always referring to the wealthy society as the ton, the ton, every time Ooh. they say the ton and it's, really? it's spelt T O N the ton. So the, Ooh. so we're going out to visit the ton and you're like, hate that word i hate it <laughs> i hate how you pronounce it i hate how you use it um it's annoying <laughs> is there a particular reason or is it just it's just one of those things you start that... hearing it all the time you start hearing them stay on and you're like and and like two different times in the series they they said ton the first time i was like what the fuck do they mean by the ton so I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, wealthy society. Okay, the people and blah, blah, blah. And then I had that long period of time where I didn't watch it. And, I came <laughs> <laughs> and they started saying it again. And I was like, what the fuck is the thought? And then I looked this up. But- 